0: What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to the 213th edition of No Concept for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. Thank you so much for listening. We got a fun one this week, Uh, a handful of new movies, all of which are buzzy and headline-grabbing in their own way, uh, starting with the uh, much-hyped, or much-discussed at least, Winnie the Pooh, horror movie. What? <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. We're talking about that. We're talking about the third Magic Mike movie and the Netflix rom-com, Your Place or Mine, starring Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher. So much, much to talk about as well as a shout out to uh, video stores coming later and a new Netflix reality show, or I guess more accurately competition show that I am literally addicted to. So all that up coming up in a second. Before then, I want to tell you I can, how you can get in touch with me, which is on Twitter at Mr. Matt Craig, or through my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com. Let me know what you think of any of these movies if you checked them out this week, or any movies I should uh, watch and review in future episodes. Without further ado, let's talk Winnie the Pooh. In case you haven't seen the headlines, yes. They absolutely made a horror movie out of the beloved Winnie the Pooh characters. The uh, Pooh extended universe, if you will. In this version, Pooh and Piglet mercilessly and brutally hunt a group of girls who book a remote Airbnb in 100 Acre Wood. That's it. That's the movie. It's as insane as it sounds. How, in our world where intellectual property is the most precious commodity on Earth, did this happen? Simple. Simple. Last year, the original Winnie the Pooh book from 1926 emerged from the complex web of U.S. copyright law and entered the public domain, which meant that it could be used in any new derivative works without paying. Interestingly, the version of Pooh wearing a red shirt, i.e. the Disney version, won't lapse until 2061. Anyway, this version, it was free, and an enterprising young Brit named Reese Frake-Waterfield saw an opportunity to make the most shocking version of the story possible. Frankly, he's a genius because as soon as the trailer dropped, a million websites picked up the story of the childhood hero turned bloody murderer. It was a viral sensation and suddenly a micro-budget movie made for less than $100,000 has made $1.8 million and counting at the box office. This week, the AMC in Los Angeles made a couple special screenings available and the one that I was at was packed. Mr. Frake Waterfield is going to be a rich man. Whether the movie is good or not is sort of besides the point. There's really no plot. The acting is amateur, and the production looks like it costs about $5. It joins the campy horror movement that's taking over the genre at the moment. Movies not trying to scare you as much as get you to laugh at moments for being so obviously scary. As I talked about with Megan... I'm not a fan of the so-bad-it's-good comedy, but I'm less mad about it here because, rather than using that toolkit ironically, this movie extends a long tradition of exploitation films. Schlocky B-movies that focus on shock, awe, blood, gore, and female nudity, produced for a dime and sold for a dollar. The kills are over-the-top gruesome and not at all realistic. For example, when one girl's head gets rolled over by a car, Her eyeball pops out. It's gross, sure, but nobody would mistake it for being anatomically accurate. My theater audience was a true peanut gallery. Laughing at ridiculous dialogue and overly dramatic music, clapping and cheering at some of the kills. It was an immersive experience. And though you won't likely likely watch this movie in a theater, I highly recommend getting a large group of people together and encouraging everyone to laugh and make commentary throughout the whole thing, That's the best possible viewing experience. This movie matters less for what it is than what it represents, which is nothing less than the future of movies. Trust me, I know that's a big statement for a slasher flick starring an adorable, honey-guzzling bear, but I actually believe it. Moviegoers love IP. That's well-established at this point. All ten of the highest-grossing movies at the domestic box office last year were sequels or franchises. We're 30 Marvels deep, and during the Super Bowl, I saw a trailer for the 10th Fast and the Furious movie. It's insane. Familiar names are what brings people out, and the fact that fact isn't changing anytime soon. And the way copyright law works, combined with when television was invented and popular culture rolled out over the past 100 years, more and more relevant IP is going to hit the public domain soon. In 2023, Sherlock Holmes... In 2024, Mickey Mouse, though that one is sure to spark a high-profile legal challenge from Disney. Dozens of other smaller properties are hitting the market, too. For the next generation of young filmmakers, IP could make an easy springboard to bigger exposure. Up until now, making an IP movie was exclusively for those with blockbuster budgets. And now someone can make a movie with a built-in brand uh, recognition for less than $100,000. That's a massive opportunity. This time, it was a B-movie, but next time it could be a clever, creative indie about Sherlock Holmes. I'd watch that in a heartbeat. If that happens, then Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey will be more than just an instant cult classic. It'll be a watershed moment in the indie film business. And then one day, people will use its IP to make a sequel. Most spoilers, but let's just say Tigger and Eeyore are still available and waiting by the phone, sharpening their axes. Alright, two somethings new for you this week. Every week I give you something new, something old, and something to stream. This week, first of all, I'm going to talk about Magic Mike's Last Dance, which is now in theaters. It would have been the featured film uh, if it wasn't a little movie called uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. But um, let's talk about Magic Mike. Okay, so there's a, a baseline of quality one can expect from director Steven Soderbergh. But it's also important for you all to remember that this man makes zero distinction between high art and low art. He's the only person you've ever heard of who will watch the reality show Below Deck, the French film Irma Vep, and Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind on the same day. Yes, if you haven't looked at his latest edition of his annual media diet, where he literally writes down everything he watches and reads in a year, I highly recommend it. I love Soderbergh because he's unafraid to just try stuff out, and he doesn't really care about his reputation or keeping his body of work pristine. Lately, that's meant a bunch of projects which feel insignificant. Unsane and High Flying Bird were shot on an iPhone, and Let Them All Talk was shot on a cruise ship. It's very different from the Netflix half-baked complaint. These movies are fully considered, they just feel like the scratch pad rather than the masterpiece. That is perhaps even an overly generous reading of the third Magic Mike movie, which is thoroughly ridiculous and has little regard for narrative logic. On one hand, what do you expect? People come to a movie about male strippers for the same reason they might go to a male stripper show, and that reason is not because they're expecting Dostoevsky. But it's sad because the first Magic Mike is a legitimately great movie and was able to marry the high and the low. As we go along, it just feels like every good thing gets crushed underfoot of the franchise behemoth. This version isn't as fun and, dare I say, not even as sexy as the two previous entries. I'm sure it'll do fine commercially for obvious reasons, but readers of this newsletter would be best served to stay away and check out Soderbergh's other work. Last year's Kimmy was awesome, for example, and that's now on HBO Max. Oh yeah, my other something new. Let's jump into Your Place or Mine on Netflix. I didn't have really any problem with this cookie-cutter, Hallmark-style romantic comedy. It's the Netflix specialty. Until I reached the final ten minutes. That's when I got to what might be quite literally the worst profession of love speech in rom-com history. It's nonsensical. It's not romantic. But maybe it's not altogether uh, surprising since I think it might be the only scene in the entire movie when the two romantic leads are actually in the same room? I mean, I get it. That's the whole premise of the movie, that these longtime best friends who live on opposite coasts spend a week living in each other's houses, communicating via FaceTime, and realizing they're in love. They were going for the holiday meets You've Got Mail, but Ashton Kutcher and Reese Witherspoon, who have proven their ability to be charming and romantic in these types of movies before... Have no chemistry together, and it sinks the entire project. After that fateful, awful speech, the movie wraps up with subtitles. Subtitles! Written in the style of a 12-year-old's journal. It's so bad, it's offensive, and because of it, I will hate this movie until my dying day. All right, this week's something old. It came out in 2000. It's called, well, it's English title is Bread and Tulips. It's uh, Italian original title is Panne e Tulipani. <laughs> uh, take a shot, since I said something in Italian. Okay, I'm using this movie, which is currently unavailable to stream or rent. You won't be able to find it anywhere. <laughs> I'm using it as an excuse to talk about physical video stores. For folks around my age and a little older, Our introduction to movies was at Blockbuster and other similar establishments. I miss walking in with no idea what I want and confronting the walls of endless covers and then walking out being so excited to try something new. Nothing on streaming can compare to that. But today I'm even going a step further in uh, giving a shout out to real video stores like the one I walked into in Los Angeles for the first time this week. These are palaces. To Cenophilia, with posters on the walls of obscure B movies no one has ever heard of, and the masked odor of marijuana covered by air fresheners. The movies are categorized by director with colored tabs signaling the start of each one, complete with a photograph. The people who work in these shops seemingly know everything about movies. Let us not forget this is the environment that birthed Quentin Tarantino. And don't blink twice when you ask and these people, they don't blink twice when you ask about an obscure Italian movie that you can't find anywhere on streaming. Coming in consistently is almost the equivalent to a graduate degree in film studies. No streaming service can replicate that. If you ever find one of these movie meccas, I'd recommend you check out this beautiful Italian romantic comedy about a middle-aged woman refinding the meaning in her life after being left behind by her family's tour bus. The setting of Venice is gorgeous, the characters are lovable, and of course the food looks delicious. It's so much better than the dime-a-dozen Netflix rom-coms. It's really not even funny. Okay, last but certainly not least, something to stream this week. It's not even a movie. It's on Netflix. It's Physical 100. I didn't watch more movies this week to recommend to you all because most of my movie-watching time has been monopolized by this Netflix competition show. It is addicting. I haven't been this hooked to a show since maybe Squid Game, which makes sense because this show is basically a real-life version, minus the whole, you know, getting shot in the face part. The show has assembled 100 of the most fit people in Korea from every discipline, wrestlers, crossfitters, gymnasts, bodybuilders, rugby players, etc., etc., and makes them face off against each other in extreme physical competitions. Win or go home. It's incredible to watch, and every episode ends on a cliffhanger that makes you pound the watch next button. Reality TV fans might also like Full Swing, the new F1 style documentary show following the PGA tour. Personally, I found the tennis show Breakpoint more exciting, but getting a behind the scenes look at top golfers is undeniably awesome. As I told a friend this week, no matter how good the shows are, their true measure of success will be whether or not they can replicate the insane conversion rate of show watchers into legitimate fans of the sport that Drive to Survive has done. That seems like an impossible task to me. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week's show. I really appreciate you listening. I appreciate you sharing the word with someone else uh, about either the newsletter or the podcast, especially the podcast. If you're one of the... Uh, select few shall we say who listen to the podcast uh then you're a true fan so maybe you should uh spread the word and and, and bring someone else into the fold um if you do want to head over to the newsletter again mattcraig.substack.com this week's trailer watch is about a movie well I, I really don't know how to describe it it's like a cold war espionage thriller but it's about tetris that's right like the block game tetris yeah uh, and it's starring Taron Egerton, the guy who just played Elton John, <laughs> and he's got a crazy mustache. If that doesn't sell you, I don't really don't know what will. As for next week, uh, the movie that I missed this week that I really wanted to see is was on Amazon. Uh, someone who used to know the uh, J- uh, Dave Franco, Allison Brie movie, I would have watched rather watched that over Your Place or Mine like a hundred times out of a hundred. Just so happened that uh, that. The timing did not work out, so I'll definitely be hitting that one. The big movie release of the week is Ant Man, uh, in the Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, whatever. I'm definitely not going to be watching that one. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Uh, the other movie I want to see is Marlowe, which is the Liam Neeson movie. I I don't think it's going to be any good, but I really obviously like those uh, Humphrey Bogart, uh, Philip Marlowe movies from the past, Maltese Falcon, Big Sleep, etc., etc. So um, if I can get around to that one, you guys know I love noir. I'll be reviewing it, but not a big uh, movie week upcoming. The only thing I'll say is we are getting dangerously close, shall I say, to uh, to me releasing the Oscars bracket. So get your Oscars research ready. The bracket will be up, maybe not next week, but definitely the week after, so you guys can get those brackets in in time for the ceremony. Whew. With all that in mind, I will see you next Friday, and until then, I guess I'll see you at the movies.